Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listen Money Matters. Get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. My name is Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, it's been a while since we talked. What are you drinking, hmm? I know. What's going on? First of all, I just have to say, I don't. I didn't really get that. I, I mean, I, I, I thought it was funny, but... You said- get all you can, can all you get, like, can it, right? Mm-hmm. Put in the can and sit on the can. Well, I got... Save your stuff, man. Ah. Get a save. Yeah, invest. It was it was too clever for me, or maybe it was too early. <laughs> I, I'm just drinking my Nutribullet, you know, strawberry. Isn't it like banana. four o'clock for you or something? Uh, it's it's like ten, so it's, it's you're like maybe... you're like fifteen hours ahead of me or something. <laughs> it's, it's it's ten a.m., so like fifteen minutes early for a beer. Okay, I might have to stop the interview mid sentence, <laughs> grab a beer, come back, but. Dude, I listen to a couple podcasts where like the co-host will regularly just get up and be like, "I'm gonna go get a beer," and they'll just be gone for five minutes, <laughs> and the other people will just keep talking. But like, I actually have a question for you, but I really have to go to the bathroom. I'll be so, right back. Yeah, Wait. so now I know it's acceptable. I can just walk out in the middle of an interview, go grab it. No, no joke though. When I was at VidCon, um, the dude who runs Epic Rap Battles of History, he was on a panel with five other people, and in the middle of it, he's just like, "Sorry guys, but I really got to pee," and he just gets up and jumps <laughs> off the stage, does like this little heel click thing, and he's gone for five minutes. You know, the funny thing like, is, is I think if we did that, that would be like the most listened to segment, like just pure silence because everyone's waiting. Like, are they serious? Like, do they just like leave? It'd be like that segment where Matt just talked with his brother, like inaudibly for five minutes about watching <laughs> commercials and getting paid for it. Exactly. Anyway, tangent city here. Uh, today's catchphrase: Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. Came to us from Sandy AXOX on Twitter. I feel like I've heard that name before. Maybe. Well, if this is your second or third catchphrase, thank you. And you can continue to send more. And uh, if anybody else has catchphrases or movie quotes or songs they want Andrew to sing, you can send them to us on Twitter at Money Matters Man. And today we have a guest. His name is Chris Clothier, and he's the uh, he's one of the owners of a company called Memphis Invest. And uh, I guess Chris, you'd call it like a turnkey real estate management company, correct? You got it. Cool, yep. cool. So I guess a little bit of uh, forward here. Um, so we had a we had our friend Allison on the podcast. Oh, how long was it ago, Andrew? Maybe like a month ago or yeah, something maybe like that. A month ago, and and she's also like a member of the community. She's been yeah. like teaching people how to like get started in real estate investing. She's been like writing articles on like all this great stuff. But yeah, she's been actually an amazing contributor to the site. But uh, talking with her was really cool because basically her retirement strategy and something that she's been doing for quite a while now is she buys properties. And then rents them out to people. And I think, what did she say? She had five of them now? I think she has five or six now. Yeah, and um, the goal is to work up to 20, I think. And, and there was like two things that really stuck out to me. And, and this is kind of when I want to pick Chris's brain. But she is like, so I, I'm very much like invest in the stock market, grow, and then I guess you kind of withdraw whatever. She's like complete opposite where she just really wants to build her uh, income through real estate investments. And uh, most of her original real estate investments were in Florida, um, and she'd gone to school there, and she knew the neighborhood, and so it made a lot of sense because she had, like, inside knowledge in the neighborhood, and uh, after she had four properties, um, her uh, mortgage companies are like, you can't buy any more properties in Florida, or at least in that area, maybe because it was too much risk, whatever. Um, So she expanded elsewhere, uh, found Chris and his company, maybe not in that exact order, and so she's been investing in properties based on her philosophy, but in, in locations that she's not as aware of and leveraging Chris's team. And I found that particularly interesting because 
I don't have like this inside knowledge into like Gainesville, Florida, but you know, uh, with the right team, like I would feel more comfortable doing something like that. Yeah. So the way she made it sound is that like you guys basically take care of everything beyond owning the property, and she said she maybe takes like a few phone calls every week. So what all do you guys have to deal with uh, on your end? Well, we are first and foremost, we were real estate investors going back uh, to the to the mid eighties. That's my father anyway. I got started investing in the early two thousands. <laughs> and kind of the, the way the whole company came to fruition, the way we you know came to exist is that uh, we were successful at it. Other people who didn't have time or and they most of them were local Memphians, they wanted us to help them. They said, Look, I, I can't find it. Uh, I certainly can't renovate it, and I don't know how to manage it. Will you do this for us? And it was so we were, you know, this wasn't a company we set out to build. It's one of those things that kind of through demand or, or request that we put together. And then sometime, I'd say 2007, 2008, we really got serious with the business and decided this was a company we wanted to grow. And so we started, you know, the marketing and the advertising, hiring, and really building out the structure of a company that made sense. And so. You know, today we do. We we find the houses, we renovate them to completion, we put a tenant into it, and now you have an asset that, you know, if we've done everything correctly, is going to be performing at a rate where there'll be more income than there is uh, expense on a monthly basis. We'll take that and then we'll sell it to an investor somewhere else. Most that want to be completely passive, they don't want to have anything to do with it, so they're buying a finished product. And as you know, kind of as, as Allison, I guess, told you guys, she now just wants to own that house and reap the the income benefit from it on a, I won't say on a monthly basis. That's what everyone comes into it with. But you have to really help educate people that it's more on a yearly basis because there will be expense, there will be vacancy. You know, all those all the dangers of, of real estate they're real, they happen. But but yeah, for the most part, they just they want the passive ability to own the asset and make the income. Okay, so I guess I was under the impression that. Well, at least in Allison's case, she would go out and find the property herself, and then uh, once she owned it, she'd call a, a company like yours up to do all that. But you guys are actually finding the properties and tenants beforehand and simply selling a finished package to investors then. Yeah, and so we're called a, you know, for lack of a uh, more, <laughs> a better title, you know, if you can call it a cliche, this is, we're, we're a turnkey company. It's very turnkey. They come in, it's, everything's done for them. Now, on, on, in her scenario... I think she's extremely active and, and does lots of different things in different ways. I think she does buy the houses herself, herself, and she does, in some scenarios, get the work done, put the management company in place. I mean, she does she does a lot of things. But in the case of our company, and and we're not just in Memphis, we're in Memphis, Dallas, and Houston. So, you know, she has a choice of going to some different cities, diversifying out, and she doesn't have to do all that other work. Her trade off is that she doesn't buy the house as cheap. Um, she, you know, she's definitely paying a premium to a company to handle everything for her, but yet, you know, for some investors, the trade-off makes sense. You know, I can buy in different cities that I like or that are, that I know are good, um, have good positive futures and then make that same income from it. So, um, one of, I feel like the black boxes of real estate investing is you, you could just go in and you're like, I have a hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to put it into a house and then we're going to turn it into a rental property, make money. But there's this whole like evaluation aspect because there's $100,000 you could put into a house that'll be like massively profitable, you know, and it's a brilliant idea. And there's $100,000 you could put into a house that you might not ever make back. And um, 
obviously Allison is very knowledgeable about this stuff, but for someone who isn't or someone who is maybe in the middle, like, do you like provide evaluations for them and kind of like, like, how do you pick the house for the person? Do you just have like inventory and you're like, pick one of these five. Good luck. (laughs) Well, I mean, no. So you cannot just come in and just like our houses aren't listed on a website. You can't come in and and just say, hey, I know nothing about anything, but I want that house because the numbers look good. That's, that's a surefire way to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, we don't blast out a list to a thousand people and say, first come, first serve. You got to you know, run and grab it as soon as you can. And it's kind of somewhere in between. So for us, uh, you know, kind of a, a little bit more background, because you said earlier we're a family business. We are. We've, we're all entrepreneurs. Um, I've it's kind of interesting. I've never, I've never interviewed for a job. I've never, I've never done anything but different businesses, some with family, some that I've started on my own. And so, but I will say that my, I credit my dad a lot that he's taught us we're really good at building businesses and and building value. And so we recognized early on that if we sold to anybody that wanted to buy anybody that had money, and then we said we had managed their properties, we would have a lot of upset investors because they didn't understand what was going on and they were mad. At the same time, we decided that if we just sold anything that was available, you buy a bunch of, you know, because there's a, there's a ton of, of houses out there. There's still a ton of houses. If you just go and buy a bunch of junk, don't fix them very well, but you've got some naive investor that's got money willing to buy it, again, now you've got a pissed off investor and you don't have a business that lasts. So, you know, to answer your question, we decide where we want to manage houses. Right, the the easiest way with the fewest number of people, the fewest number of headaches. You know, the, so we we stay in particular areas, we fix houses in a particular way. Um, if we don't manage for outside people. We only manage stuff that we have personally bought and fixed. And today, it's around thirty three hundred properties in those three cities. And so, what happens is we get a lot of investors that want to buy, and we end up telling a lot of investors no. Because, you know, what they want doesn't fit what we sell. Where they want to be doesn't fit where we manage. And then the biggest thing is that they come in and they say, I've got enough money to buy one house. And the smartest thing for that guy to do is to put their money in the stock market or to, you know, kind of maybe uh, partner on a private lending, invest locally something. Because the worst thing you can do is, is buy one house somewhere far away. Because in the end, you know, think about it. They're always going to be either happy or pissed all the time. Yeah. I'm happy when it's rented. I'm really pissed when it's not. And that's a bad way for an investor to be. You have to be able to, in my opinion, if you're going to buy out of town, you got to do what Allison does and be able to have five or six houses or more, be able to build a portfolio. And um, so what we end up doing, Andrew, is we get a lot of people that come in and they want to you know, they want to uh, do business with us and they have to fit our model. So slow down, ask your questions. You know, we have our questions. We want to know what kind of investor you are, how educated you are. You prepared for the ups and the downs, you know, are you going to be a good client for us? And uh, are we going to be a good company for you? And when you do that, you know, things work out. So, okay. So I guess uh, yeah, I see on the website, you guys have three different cities that you're in. Memphis is kind of the obvious one because that's where you're based, right? Yeah. Yeah. So where we started. Okay. So where did uh, Dallas, Fort Worth and Houston kind of come into the mix? Like, did you just identify that they were good markets or do you have a local connection? Well, I was born and raised in Dallas. Uh, I'm a, you know, whatever, a Texan. <laughs> and uh, so we're, we're proud of that. And, and so you end up, I have family and business connections in Dallas and Houston. So we knew the markets well enough to be able to go there. And 
not not make a bunch of mistakes along the way. Um, and the only reason why we moved out of Memphis is that demand for what we did was growing. And again, we had that we had that choice. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like some big moral decision, but the reality was we could buy junk and move into junk neighborhoods and have plenty of product in Memphis. But again, at that point, you're just you know, you're just doing it to make money. You're not, you're not doing it to build a business long-term anymore. Mm. So we knew we wouldn't have enough product in Memphis that met the needs of us and our clients. So that's why we chose to go to Dallas. And then we chose to go to Houston. Okay. So, you know, um, you say like, uh, and first of all, I really respect that you're, um, trying to focus on like good properties, you know, ones that will return. Cause obviously you want a, a lasting business. But, uh, when you, when you say like, uh, you know, good versus junk. I think sure. junk as like you know the edge of Detroit that's going to be like mowed down and made grass, you yeah. know, and then good <laughs> as like the the exact center of Detroit or something like how like what determines good versus bad for you guys? Yeah, so part of it is this that on on any given day you can go in and there may be a hundred or more houses in Memphis that you could buy for literally a thousand dollars, $2,000. Okay. And these are houses, as we all know, you know, built Hell, Some of them could have been built back in the nineties and nobody's taking care of them and they're completely stripped out. And they're just, you know, the, as you said, the weeds are eight feet tall and, and there's no neighbors around them. You know, these are houses that are boarded up that they're just, it makes no sense for us because unless you can buy everything around it and, and fix it all at the same time, you're, you're not doing anything. Mm. And so it's really hard to this, to draw it in black and white, but it's kind of like, you know, you know where a house is going to be or a neighborhood is going to be successful and where it's not. And listen, man, there are a ton of investors that do really well buying, uh, in lower income areas of cities with lots of blight and lots of, lots of, you know, destroyed areas that are vacant or overgrown and they come in and they can, they can do well there, but they are, they're super hands-on. They're really active. I mean, they are, they're there all the time. They have to make um, relationships with local churches and with local businesses. I mean, that's, that's the only way they're having success there mm. for us. Um, you know, since we're, we're dealing with such passive investors, we don't have that same latitude. We have to really make sure that we are in other areas where it takes you know, there's less risk. There's less risk involved for us and for the investor themselves. So, I, yeah. I get the whole uh, you know good neighborhood, bad neighborhood. But I mean, I, I imagine there's also bad properties in good neighborhoods. Uh, yeah. Or I mean, like, uh, do you like dive? So, how do you determine that? And like, do things like condo associations play into? Because I'm in a condo association, and if I knew, I would have not bought in this building. Yeah, I mean, you you nailed it. When you got HOAs overlap, when you have, um, so what we call, we, we look for what's called a path of progress. So we're looking for what's being renovated, what's becoming new, what's what's vacant land that's being built on. Uh, and we try and invest in, in things around those areas. We, you know, you want to avoid going into a neighborhood that's cut off from everything. You know, there's that's, that's cut off from grocery stores, from um, cut off from bus routes, cut off from uh, you know playgrounds and schools, all that kind of stuff. You know, because they're everywhere in big cities like this, where they're just kind of you know development took a neighborhood in an area that is hard to get to, mm. and it's hard for anybody in that neighborhood to get out to other stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you're trying to you know for us, 
a lot of it is local knowledge, having been here for a while and driving the streets. You just look around and you can just see that, you know, all the houses may be great, but it's going to be hard for people to find it. And it's going to be hard for people to be able to get out. And it's just not where um, really stable, you know, income earners want to be. It's where yeah. those that don't have a lot of choices want to go to. And, you know, this, I'm not trying to be politically correct or nothing like that. I'm just saying that you just, as a company, we just had to make some choices that we want to do good, but we want to do the most good that we can without getting ourselves into trouble. So then you look for neighborhoods that, that don't need the most help, mm-hmm. but they have houses that are vacant that need to be you know, brought back up. So you're talking about houses that are still 75% owner-occupied when you can. Mm-hmm. And um, you try to avoid things that are 10% owner-occupied. So it yeah. sounds like you're going to, I mean, premium or, or close to premium areas, but then like, wouldn't you also be paying premium prices and it would make for a bad investment? Well, yeah. You, I mean, it's a great point by you that you're not getting the same discount you can get in other areas. But the way what we're looking for, obviously, is um, – the rent ratios. So if an investor ends up buying a home for round numbers, a hundred thousand, mm. we want the rent to be at least a thousand dollars on that property. I'm not going to, mm. in Dallas and Houston, we don't always hit it. Sometimes it's 0.9%. So it might be a hundred thousand dollar house. is going to rent for 900. And you know, when you, when you roll everything out, the investor's looking to make about a seven to 9% return on their investment, straight cash on cash. Okay. They lever, they might be getting, you know, 10 to 13. And for Lever a lot of people... They, mortgage. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of... And for a lot of investors, they say, I'm not willing to do that. I can, I can do better with my money, and that's fantastic. That's the kind of investor we want to talk to and tell them that you can and, and, and do it. But at the same time, a lot of investors say, I've got my active bucket where I'm, I'm over here actively doing things and making money, and I want my passive bucket where I can put money to work and and not have to do anything for it. And for those, if it's consistent and good, you know, a seven to eight to nine percent return is 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 what they're looking for. That's I'll take that all day long as long as I have an, an underlying asset that's supporting that return. Yeah. So on your guys' end, what's your margin that you make um, after the return is given to the investor and you're getting the rent in? Okay. So well, there's two things. Number one, we make money when we sell the house. So okay. I'll make, that's the first, that's really the way that our company operates. So we buy everything, use our own cash, do all the, the fix up before we sell it. We'll make on average around 17, maybe 18, that's thousand per deal that we do. Okay. Average sale price is about 120. So you're looking at about a 20, we make about a, a 18 to 20% return somewhere in there. Okay. Uh, so you guys and, aren't selling like huge houses. No, no, we're selling a, a, a traditional three bedroom, two bath, uh, okay. 1500 to 2000 square foot house. Gotcha. We, in Memphis, we do a lot of new builds also. We'll, we'll build about 20 to 30 houses a year, and the average price point on those is about 170 So you guys are buying the property, hiring the contra- construction company to come in and build a new house, actually? We buy the lots, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, and they're infill. So you know, you got a neighborhood that's, whatever, 95% done, and we'll buy the, the scattering eight, you know, eight to 10 lots left and build gotcha. out. So, okay, I think that's actually basically the situation with the house I'm in right now. Yeah. The company that purchased the lot, built the house, and now I'm renting it. And you know, it's a that's a great deal for a uh, you know a homeowner or a future homeowner to get into a, a nice property, a good neighborhood. It's stable, you know. It's but it costs more. You know, it costs mm-hmm. more for the for the owner. It costs more for the renter. I mean, it's it comes at a premium. Yeah. But 
Um, and hell, I forgot what the original question was. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess like, I was just asking about because um, you said you know the average sale price is about 120k to the yeah. investor. So, in my mind, the average house around where I live is like double that or more. So, yeah. I guess I was just asking, like, you guys kind of focus on the smaller houses, then. Well, and so it's a 1500 to 1800 square foot house. Our average is about 1850, mm-hmm. um, and it's three bedroom, two bath with a garage, fenced yard. I mean, these. The, the cost of living, the cost of housing in Memphis, Dallas are, are very low. Okay. Houston, not quite as low. Houston's a little more expensive, but we'll just look at the Memphis market. The cost of living here, cost of housing is, is super low compared to other parts of the country. And that's not always a reason for an investor to invest here because um, they shouldn't look at their own market as opposed to this one. But they should just look at the kind of return they can get for the money they're putting down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's definitely cheaper than the cost of housing where Andrew lives. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm in Hoboken, so it's ridiculous. My oh, 700 square foot place was was a, like thrashed. It was like a garbage place, and I got it for 321. So, and then, and then fixed <laughs> wow. it. Up and yeah, yeah. So, wow. Um, I'm I'm curious because uh, first of all, I think it's awesome that you go find the places, renovate them, and then present them because. Uh, I definitely don't have contractor connections or know how to do that like efficiently. Um, but does that mean like so to give your your prior example, you're like um, there's a home and it, you know it's a hundred thousand dollars and rent comes in at a thousand dollars a month. That would be a sweet spot. Is does that mean that you guys find these homes, renovate them, whatever, and then present that home for a thousand dollars? Suggesting that it will likely rent for I mean for a hundred thousand dollars, suggesting that it'll rent for a thousand. Yeah, and you know we we are fanatical about keeping stats. That's something that we learned from our dad. Just data, you know, you have to you have to stay on top of your data. And I'll tell you that we're we are not a hundred percent, but we're somewhere between ninety seven and ninety nine percent accurate on the rent that we will get on that property because we're not going to new areas. Again, we're you know memphis is a huge city but we're still we're only investing in about 45 percent of it so we know what we're doing we know yeah. what the rent's going to be um we're not we're not trying out new houses and trying out new things you know we we know at this point we we certainly know what we're doing and we can tell somebody almost 100 percent accurately exactly what the rent they'll get sometimes okay. we're 25 bucks off sometimes we're 25 bucks over but um you know we know we know what we're going to get so, so you can look at an area and be like, I've been here long enough. Absolutely. That place is going to run for that much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've got one, I've got, uh, you know, five other houses within a quarter mile of this particular property. They all rent for this. They're all the same size. They all got the same features. I know what this is going to rent for. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're getting, finding these houses, building these houses, putting them in a position for investors that would be profitable for them. And it sounds like a reasonable amount or, or most of your money is coming from that process. So I'm curious, um, someone like Allison, you know, and, and while she's awesome, I'm sure as a business, you didn't want to do business with her because she's awesome. Um, like, why did you want to take her on as a customer being that she's going to do that super profitable stuff on her own sure. and then come to you guys just for the management end? Well, because she is now for somebody like Allison, who is a client of ours, if she comes in and says, I want to do this process on my own. And I want you to manage it. I'm already your client. You know, I said earlier that we only manage stuff that we've renovated. Mm. That's a scenario where very, very few instances where we tell an investor, I'm not going to manage something that you've done. Okay. And you're right. We make money off of the sell. 
but we make we're a business that's growing and, and thriving the way we are because of great relationships that we have with clients. We wouldn't be this way if we told a client, say Allison, that you know there's only one thing we're going to do for you, and that's manage properties you buy from us. If you buy from somebody else, then get the hell out of here. You know, take your property with you. But that's just not the way that we're going to operate. And so it's all about you know choosing good people. She was smart. She's one of those people that that came in and and spent time with our team, answered questions. I'm. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe she's been to either Memphis or Dallas to visit uh, the offices so she could meet some of the team that was in place. That's a smart investor. That's an investor that's taking really good steps that we want to be in business with because when there is a vacancy, when there is a maintenance issue, they're going to understand. They're not going to question us mm. on the front end. We've built a relationship with them. They're going to they're gonna hold us accountable, and Allison will. She'll make sure that you know we're doing the work that we say we're going to do the right way. Everything's you know done proper, and you want that. Right. Uh, but she's not going to say, "Well, you know, I expected to do better on this investment, so don't fix that for the for the tenant, or the tenant hasn't paid their rent on time, so don't fix that." That's not the kind of person we want to be in business with. And so, yeah. yeah. So, what amount of information do does the owner typically get about? just like the regular goings on in the property. Like if you have to fix something, do you tell them every little thing you fixed or no. is it just basically we take care of it unless you ask us? Don't worry so about it. we call every owner every month with an update about their portfolio. Okay. Now what, and it's interesting. That's so that's part of what we do on a customer service side. We never want an owner to feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so many miles away and I have no idea what's going on. That's a, that's a, cruddy way to feel. So we call every owner every month. Sometimes the data is mundane. Sometimes it's, there's nothing happening. Everything's fine. They paid and you've got no issues. Other times it's, you have, you know, a hundred dollar maintenance bill or a thousand dollar maintenance bill. If any bill is over 400, they get a call immediately when it happens. Okay. Cause that's a big, that's a big ticket. They need yeah. to know about that. Um, but the little ones are just going to find out during that routine customer service phone call. Plus there's like every management company, we have a, an online portal so they can go in anytime and see it. Okay. But you know, yeah. So we, uh, you know, a big thing for us, as I told you earlier, just this whole, how do you build a company kind of thing? Uh, especially when it's going to last and exist 20 years from now, you know, when my kids are, are wanting to run it and it's all about relationship. It's all about all these little decisions that you make when you're setting it up that you, you know, you want that particular client to be a perfect fit and to have a perfect experience so that they buy more and they tell more people. And so yeah. part of that is call them every month, make, you know, over communicate. You don't, you never, you may not like what we tell you, but you never have to worry that you don't know what's going on. That was right. right. So, okay. To go back to that, that example, and maybe just cause yeah. it's easy numbers, hundred thousand dollars, $1,000 rent. Um, say something breaks and yeah. uh, costs twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. Right? So something big. I don't know. Maybe the AC unit blows up or something. Right. Now um, I'm or you know I'm living in New Jersey. You know this investment's in Memphis. Yeah. Um, you obviously pay me every month and I take it and I do whatever. Maybe invest in more homes. Um, you know this is an urgent thing that needs to be fixed. How do you handle it? Do you cover it? like from your company and then like take it post out of sure. future rent payments or do I have to like wire it to you immediately? Like, yeah, lucky. that was going to be my question. Do I ever have to pay something after I've bought? Yeah. So, so lucky for us, we are a, 
we are a profitable company and we want to we want to set policies in place so that it's just easy. You know, it's easy for us and it's easy for the for the client. So if it's a let's just take it like this. Let's say that it was a a um, life issue for that house. You know, it was it was plumbing, it was electric, it was the AC's out in the middle of summer, whatever it is, we're gonna fix it immediately. And we and we cover that. We pay that. And it just kind of depends on the situation on what's going to happen next. A lot of times we just take it out of the rent. Um, and if it goes over, then we'll take it out of the following month's rent as well. But you as an owner, you don't have to send us a check immediately. Okay. Some owners don't want to do that. Some for their own particular reasons, they want to, they want to keep everything straight. So they want to pay for repairs and they want to get their rent. So we paid for it and we've done the work. They'll just send us a check in for it. And then of course we'll pay them their rent in full. It's, um, you have to be flexible that we don't have reserves. We don't hold back rents. We don't make owners keep reserves with us because, you know, for, for really that's, that's one more step for us to have to keep up with in this process, a whole separate account we have to keep. I mean, it just, it's, uh, it makes it more complicated. So it's easier to say that if we can cover this and you, and sometimes we're talking about, you know, it could be a couple hundred thousand dollars when you're talking about 3000 properties under management, Mm. but we do what we do and, and we're able to do it. Uh, all of that's through the grace of having grown, you know, and being the company that we are today, five, seven years ago, that was harder to do. But today right. the policy is pretty simple. You know, we're going to fix it immediately. We're going to alert you to it. We can keep the rent or we can do checks, however you want to do it. But the, the bottom line is you got something that's going to be generating income. We'll get paid back. We're fine. Let's move on. What if we took it a step further and it was something dramatic that involved insurance yeah. Um, you know, or maybe damage to the property where it was not habitable until X time that it got fixed. Like, how much you handle that? Well, we'll do it all. And so you'll go state, to the insurance company and you'll do the claim stuff. And Well, the owner has to physically file the claim. Mm-hmm. But since we're managing it and we know, you know, nine times out of ten exactly who their insurance company is. So we'll you know, we'll tell them you need to call them and file the claim. We'll meet the insurance company there. The adjuster will come out. He'll look at it. He'll determine, you know, how much they're going to pay. In the meantime, we're already getting the bids prepared to get the house fixed. Um, I'm not going to pay to put up a tenant. You know, there's, there's, mm. you get into a lot of other questions there at that point that, that are going to come up. But for the most part, um, it's got to be simple and we got to handle everything because that's our job. So, you know, you got, you got a few little landmines or hurdles to jump around there, but you know, we, we try to make it as easy as possible and get in there and do it. So, the bottom line is this. You can't leave your tenant sitting in a house that's uninhabitable. So you got to get them taken care of. And if it's inhabitable, if something needs to be fixed, you got to get it done quick or else that tenant's gone. Yeah. So, you know. So there wouldn't be a scenario where I'd have to, like, fly out from New Jersey and uh, assist in some way or be present or – All right. So would you have to? No. Now, is there a scenario where you'd want to come see? Well, possibly that's up to you as an investor, but there's not a scenario where you have to physically do something, uh, be it insurance or be it a move out or be anything along those lines. You're always welcome to come in and hold us accountable. You know, what are you, what are you doing? Is everything being done right? But that's our job. That's what you pay us for. That's what you paid a premium for the house in the first place. You want us to handle everything so that you don't have to. Yeah. yeah. So do you guys set universal tenant policies or are they individual to the investor like say i'm a tenant and i ask what if i need to leave early because i'm moving for some emergency like 
how sure. much of the you know the contract do I need to pay if I leave early? Is that all universal for every property you own, or does the investor get to set that or have some control over it? Well, we the but the kinds of things an investor can set is to say that I don't want pets in my houses. Period. Okay. okay? So that's a that's a that's something that a, an investor can set. Um, beyond that. You know, really, it's it's our policy. There's a lot of give and take. You got a lot of feel there for for how things are going with a particular tenant in a particular house. And owners give us a lot of latitude there. You know, they trust us. We've been doing this for a long time. So, you know, we want to know those types of things. You know, how do you feel about a tenant? What are your no nos? You know, what, what where are you going to draw the line? And then we'll deal with that as we go forward. But an owner can't come in and like dictate to us. You know, I want to see, I want to approve my own tenants. That's not going to happen. Uh, okay. I want to, uh, you know, I want to review all the, lead, you know, whatever. We just don't have time for that. We're, right. that slows everything down. So. so part of the deal with going with the turnkey solution like you guys is you actually have to give up certain things. Like yeah. you don't have the option of having control over certain aspects of your investment if you're going with you guys. Yeah, or else it breaks down. And yeah. so, you know, you brought it, that's a great that's a great point for you to bring up, Thomas, because they've got a, uh, you know, that's for us on the front end. If we make a bad, if, if, if we just sell to anybody and we bring on a bad investor that really wants to be active, but kind of talks themselves into they can deal with this, you know, passive investment, they're going to be miserable and they're going to make us miserable because they're going to, they're not going to be happy. They're going to want more control. And there's a lot of investors that are that way. And so it's, it's just best to find out on the front end and say, you know, and we do a lot of this of just kind of pushing people in a different direction. This is, you know, yeah. you need to do something else. Something, or, or in the case of like an Allison, are you able to allot part of your, you know, part of your investment to passive and still keep your fire going on the active side of what you really enjoy? And if right. that's the case, then we do it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm giving up total control. That's the, yeah, yeah. you nailed it. You're, you're giving it up. You're saying, I, I trust you to get me this in return and then it's our job to perform. Right. So a lot of the people, I would say like the vast majority of the people listening to this are not people who have any experience with real estate investing. Yeah. Um, so in, uh, earlier in the show, you talked about how if somebody comes to you and says, I have enough money for one house, they should put their money in the stock market. So what's the path to becoming the kind of person that would come to you guys and have like be a beneficial relationship with you guys? Is there well, like prior experience needed with individual investing in properties or no no it's but it is i mean it's financial wherewithal they they have to have the ability um in real estate in general you know as, as we all know there's a there are a thousand different ways to make money in real estate and buying a passive investment on the other side of the country is just one and mm. if you only have the ability to buy one house and you, and you don't see a clear path to how you're going to buy more, then you have to realize that you've just, again, you banked everything on that one house and that one relationship. My advice, when I said the stock market, it doesn't necessarily have to be the market. It just, it needs to be something else. It needs to be right. partnership with another local investor. You know, maybe you're the money behind it. You know, I can, I can give you my money. I can earn a rate of return, but it's, it's less risky. And then to your question, what's the path? The path is just to, to create a way where you can buy more than one house. I mean, okay. you have to be able to have a portfolio so that, you know, it's kind of like the reason why a lot of people buy multifamily. 
is that you've got 10 doors, you know, if three are vacant, you've got seven panes. It's the same concept when you're trying to use single families. You need to, to build a path to own more than just one. Yeah. Okay. So it's just basically have enough money where you're not putting all your eggs in one basket that can get hit by a tornado or. Yeah. Know. And, and isn't that true with anything? I mean, that's yeah. true with, if you were going to invest next door, I mean, it's the same thing. You, you don't treat this as if it's some magic pill because it's not, I mean, right. we're, you know, just cause, just cause it's turnkey or pass, it doesn't mean it's any better than any other option you have. You know, everything has to line up perfectly for you for this to work. Okay. Just like anything else. To go like further on like the the entry point and maybe yeah. like the the knowledge requirements. So, say we were getting that house, or maybe it was like one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So twenty percent would be thirty thousand dollars, right? Um, you're fine if if your investors get a mortgage. You know, it's great leverage. Blah blah blah. Um, so I have thirty thousand dollars total. You you would turn me down because all my eggs are in one home. But like, where is the threshold that you would be comfortable with doing business with me is that sixty thousand two hundred. So um, no, if an investor came to us and said a better way to look at it and said I have you know seventy five thousand dollars and I would like to get started in investing. What I'm what our team is going to look at with them is number one we're going to help them get pre qualified to make sure that that they qualify to get a mortgage and then what what we should be doing now i'm gonna i'm gonna add that little caveat there because we have we have portfolio advisors that work for us and and uh they better be doing this 100 percent of the time but it's just i want to i want to give myself a little bit of room in case somebody makes a mistake at some point and and we have to step in and stop but the reality is that they should be trying to leave between 10 and fifteen thousand dollars for that investor like you don't want to if somebody comes and says i got 75 you don't want to put together a package that spends every dollar they have because now they're in, they're in trouble. Now, if something yeah. should happen, they have zero, um, you know, zero landing space. So you want to you want to leave something there for them. And then you, what we might be able to do is say, let's start with one. Let us earn the right for you to buy number two. And during that time, you're still saving and you still have a a, a nest egg there. Maybe we're going to use sixty of that seventy five, but not all at one time. Buy this one. Maybe six months later, we look at a second one. If everything's gone the way we said it will go, and then you know, now you you earn the trust. You're able to use all their put all their money to use. At the same time, they've got this idea that I need to save again for that next thirty thousand. What's the you know what's the next chunk of money I can put together to buy number three? And you still have that fifteen thousand dollars there for them. Now, if they choose to go and and buy a new car and go on vacation with that money, that's their fault. Mm-hmm. You know, you you try and and explain to them that the reason why I don't want you to spend all that money is so that you know, you never find yourself in a situation where you rely on that rent income to pay your mortgage. Mm. Right. That's a bad spot to be in. You always want to have the ability to pay it and then reimburse it with the rents as they come in should something happen. So yeah. to take that further, um, yeah. so so you put in $50,000, I mean, or, or the investor, say me, has put in $50,000 in with you guys in, in a package. Um, you're obviously managing all the pieces, you know, you've purchased the home, renovated, blah, blah, blah. I've sold it to me for 50 K you're getting the renter. You're doing all the pieces. What sort of cash flow should I realistically in- expect from something like that? Um, you know, less fees, less yearly fixes. Like, um, if I was to set my clock by something, you know, what do you think would be reasonable? I think that a reasonable return after everything with, and this is just with us in the level at which we perform, 
would be between seven and eight percent return. So do the math backwards. You're looking at making on that particular return about forty two hundred to forty eight hundred dollars a year on your sixty thousand dollars you put into play. So if it was if it was, you had seventy five, you used sixty of it to buy a package of homes. You should be looking for roughly between four and five thousand dollars return a year in that money. Mm. And mm. now at the same time you bought $200,000 worth of property mm-hmm. for $60,000. i am a big advocate of working with investors and telling them that, hey, look, you know, if you don't need that, that cash flow, use it to reduce your principal. Pay off because the, you know, in the first 24 years, the single biggest expense you're going to have on your property is the interest you pay on the right to borrow that, you know, on the right to own that home. And there's a lot of people out there that are going to say, I'm a fool, that if you can borrow money at 4%, you should be taking your cash flow and reinvest it in something else that you're making 10 on and make the spread. all of, you know, and, and they're right. You know, I'm not saying that they're wrong, but for me, myself, I don't like owing money. It got me into trouble in the past. I hate, I hate debt. And so I take cash flow and I, and I say, look, pay it off, man. Reduce principal as fast as you can. Own those two houses as soon as you can. Let's say you're lucky enough to get that done in 15 years. And that sounds like a lifetime to a lot of people like, wow, 15 years from now. But the reality is if you did nothing else, you just own those two, then 15 years from now, your 60000 is worth 200000 plus the income you make, which would be, if it's just $1,000 rent, you'd be making $24,000 a month on two houses if you're making the full rent. So it's, it's a, you know, I have a, I have my own unique way of investing, I guess, my own unique thoughts about it. That comes from, you know, that's shaped from experience. But I, I just try and tell investors that you should expect about a 7 to 8% return with our company. You can, you can do better, but um, if you're talking about just a straight rate of return. But when you talk about risk and reward and uh, how much of that risk gets mitigated by our company, our experience, and the way we operate, that, that means something. It means something to a lot of people that do business with us. Yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense. You know, I think, you know, people like Allison are not necessarily looking for ridiculous returns. They're looking for a secure system they can build. Yeah. Consistency. Yeah. They're looking for something they can rely on. Mm-hmm. Not, not something that's going to be, you know, I'm going to ride the wave. They're just looking at something that they know uh, whether there are ups and are downs. Either way, you know, for the most part, it's going to be down the middle. Yeah. So. That makes a lot of sense to me, too. Cool. Well, Andrew, do you have any uh, extra questions before we wrap up? Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of like uh, processing in my head because <laughs> I actually really like that approach that you suggest, you know, putting it, because I would actually be the one who'd be like, well, I mean, I don't know. I think you should probably invest in instead of putting it in the, in the <laughs> mortgage. But I kind of like this thought of where if you kind of, you know, put it in, right, let it do its thing for 15 years or whatever, uh, it could potentially be, uh, that could be your retirement income. And then it's just like, like legit cash flow. Well, I, you know, let me tell you something. That, that, did y'all see the article? I don't know if y'all saw the article about the, the football player, the NFL football player that set a budget of $60,000 a year is what he lives yes. off of. Did you see that? Hmm, yeah. I didn't see it. Yes. Yeah, this is a guy that makes, I mean, he's made, I think the article said he's going to make $1.8 million in his first three years of playing. But right off the bat, him and his wife set a budget of $60,000 a year is what they were going to live on. And they've been able to do it. And... I look at it and I bring that up because that's such discipline and that's a really smart guy who talks about the fact that 
you know, he surrounded himself with smart people that were smarter than him, put together a plan. He takes all that extra money. He puts it into smart investments. You know, he's, he's on top of, of, of his money. He knows exactly what's going on. Unfortunately for most people out there, we don't. And I say we, because I'm the same guy that, that, uh, when I had 30 year mortgages, I wasn't smart enough to pay off the notes early. You know what I mean? I thought I was, I, I went into it with the idea that I'm going to pay everything down early. And I quickly got sidetracked with spending that money. And sometimes I would justify by saying I was investing, you know, I, I'm, I'm investing in some stock that I knew nothing about surrounded myself mm-hmm. with zero experts and lost the money. Um, I'm in, I'm, at one point, I was investing in lower income housing because I was going to do good for the community. I was going to rebuild and I lost it all. And so, you know, I, I'm, my point with all that earlier, Andrew, is that I'm just, I'm, all my investments that I buy today, I structure them so that every bit of my rental income reduces debt. So I don't do 30 year mortgages. I do eight year mortgages and, and sometimes 10 year mortgages. Mm. And the risk I take is that if there's a vacancy, I've got to pay it out of pocket. If there's a, um, you know, a maintenance issue, I have to pay it out of pocket. But I trust, because I invest in my own company too. I use my own company to do everything. And so I trust that we've got the right systems to get all that done. And I don't trust myself to, you know, to, to physically do the things I need to do with that money the right way. So the other things I've done and I, I know that you guys talk about all these, you know, all kinds of different things as far as investing is concerned is that I've just surrounded myself now with good people. I invest in the stock market now, but with different money. So now I've got, I've got the money I use for real estate. I've got the money I would use for the stock market. It's not much, but it doesn't matter. I give that to somebody else that's way smarter than I am and have a plan and check it. And I, so I go back, I saw that, that article about that football player and I was so impressed because I was like, that's a guy who said, I'm not smart enough to do this on my own. I'm smart enough to surround myself with great people that'll help me, you know, make my money. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's just a great lesson for everybody, real estate investor or not to learn and to follow. And you can, you can do well. Awesome. How was that? That's an excellent (laughs) point to end on. I think. Yeah. Perfect. uh, This isn't your first rodeo. (laughs) No, I've, uh, I do a, I love, man, I'll tell you guys, I love, talking to investors. It's why I handle the sales and the marketing stuff for our company is that I just, you know, I, I am, uh, I'm very proud of the company that we have. I'm super proud of the team because we've got just this great people that work for us. We've got 63 employees now in three cities. Wow. wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, and they're great. They're great people. And so, um, we have this culture of, you know, it's kind of a, uh, there's a saying by a guy that built, uh, his name is Truett Cathy. He built the Chick-fil-A restaurants, but the, the saying that he had was, if you concentrate on getting better every day, your clients will demand you get bigger. And so the whole argument was um, his executives wanted to create new sandwiches and new things. You know, they wanted the, you know, like the Baconator on chicken and all this kind of stuff. You know, they wanted, they wanted to do all these flashy things to build business. And he told them, forget all that. You know, if you just concentrate on doing what you do really good, everyone else will demand you get bigger. Your, your demand will rise. And so we've, you know, over the last, you know, dozen years or so this company's existed, that's what we've, that's what we've concentrated on. Surround ourselves with great people that care like we do. Um, it's tough sometimes to tell an investor no and, and that we're not the right fit for them. 
But those are the kinds of things that you have to do. And in the end, you end up with really great people like Allison who say, hey, you should go talk to these two guys, Andrew and Thomas, who are really great with this awesome podcast. And you, that's how those things happen. You just you go out there and you put out there and you do things the right way. And then you see what comes to you like this. So I appreciate being on the show, guys. Yeah. I have to say my favorite interviews <laughs> always end in flattery. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so for the people who, you know, eventually down the road start getting into real estate investing and get to the point where it might be uh, beneficial to talk with you guys, how can they get in touch? The, the easiest way is through our website. Um, okay. And it's, it's www.memphisinvest.com. And, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, whether we can help or not help, you know, give us a look up, give us a shout, let us know what we can do to answer your questions, and we'll see if it's, if it's a good fit or not. And that's the best way to reach us. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Chris. Yeah, guys. Yeah. All right, guys. If you've got questions about money or real estate investing, listen, money matters at gmail.com. And Andrew's holding the finger up. So what's up, man? Uh, no, I, I'm like <clears throat> sign languaging to Chris. Like, don't sign off yet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hang around. All right, yeah. And uh, we also are building the community. So, hey, if you want to potentially get secret access to our community and help build it into the amazing public launch that we know uh, it's going to be. I want to say, like, because um, I've been <clears throat> very interested in investing in real estate. And, and Allison has actually inspired me in this. And she put up her uh, investment calculator of how she evaluates her investments, uh, her methodology, the like the before and after of the reno that she has with Memphis Invest. And um, she's been kind of educating us. So, I mean, if you want more on this, like we're, we're in closed alpha now. So if you really impress the shit out of us, <laughs> then we'll let you in. Or, or when we release and you everyone can come. <laughs> yes. So eventually everyone will be able to go to listenmoneymatters.com, the community, but uh, if you want to be potentially part of the alpha, you can email us and tell us why you want to be in. Mm. And we'll see what happens. So also, you can subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating and review if you want to support the show. Today's review comes from CM Crawley on iTunes, who says the podcast is great. And the website is even better. Well, hey, I guess Allison has something to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> and Anna's amazing design skills. Yes. Uh, going to their website can help target in on topics you are immediately interested in slash concerned about. Our generation is super comfortable with the concept of debt. I know I was until recently. But at a certain point, it is more important to have money in the bank versus a high credit score. And Listen Money Matters helps drive that concept home. It keeps you motivated to work on obtaining help. Thank you for that review. And hey, if you want to find your favorite money management resources and books, apps, all that good stuff, it's over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. So thanks for hanging out with us, and we look forward to the next episode. Later, Andrew. Later, guys. Thanks, Chris. See you guys. Please tell your friends about this show.